Hey there. This episode originally aired on my Patreon many months ago, so some of the information might be a little bit outdated by now. If you'd like to check out episodes as soon as they come out, you can join my $3 tier over there, or you can subscribe to check out full episodes coming here eventually. Either way, the choice is yours. Enjoy the show. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Pat's Creative Podcast, episode 12, I'm pretty sure. Uh, if all things were according to plan, this will be episode 12. Today, I've got a very special guest with me, uh, known as Kara. Kara, if you would care to quickly introduce yourself to all the people out there. Uh, yeah, hi, I'm Kara Hillstock. I also go by Cheratomo. I'm a narrative designer for video games and also a variety streamer on Twitch, where I play cozy, chill, and narrative-based games. Uh, in the past, I've also acted and been a video editor and been a newspaper journalist and worked for Digino Gaming and all kinds of stuff. To go in a little bit as to... Um, uh, my experience, I've only discovered you relatively recently, but uh, one of the reasons I wanted to have you on the show was because you do have experience in like several different fields. And that's always something I like to bring on so we can contrast and compare different things or whatnot. And a lot of my questions are actually going to be kind of similar to that. Um, so I think maybe a good question to kind of start off with is just uh, what do you think are some of the biggest uh, differences between working on something as long-term like narrative building for a game or even just for writing as compared to something that's so instant like live streaming, you know, where you're just constantly active and you have the audience immediately talking to you after everything you say. What are some of the the differences between that? Like how does that, how does that creatively uh, affect your mindset in a way? Wow. There's like <laughs> nothing similar <laughs> about, about them really at all. Um, the skills that you need as a narrative designer compared to the skills that you need as a streamer, for the most part, there's not a lot of overlap. Streaming is more about um, improv and regulating the emotions of yourself and also the people in the chat sure. and trying to perform well, whereas narrative designing is um, somewhat writing, but a lot more like understanding holistically the structure of a game and what knobs you can tweak in order to make the narrative really sing in a game. So right. <laughs> there's not, there's, you have to be in two totally different mindsets because in one yeah, you're you're, sure. you're guessing and assuming how maybe somebody will react to what you're doing and you just won't know. Whereas in the other, you can adjust on the fly as you see people react. Right, constant performance with constant feedback while the other, you'll have no idea how people react until it's actually out, right? And, mm -hmm. you know, I imagine building up, the, uh, writing these stories and, and building narratives take much longer to accomplish than something is just uh, like, I'm here for a few hours and then I'm off, you know? Um, I, I'm curious though, do you, do you find it like creatively helpful to have both outlets because you're able to get that like, I, I kind of want to say like instant gratification from chat, but then you're also able to get the more developed post gratification of releasing something big, like, do you find that useful for uh, inspiring yourself to create, having both outlets? Um, I find it useful. So when I was a uh, when I was younger, I actually was an actress for a little while, and like got to be in movies and on stage and things. And so that was like a part of my life that I decided not to pursue professionally because I didn't like a lot of a lot of the baggage that came with it. I didn't sure I didn't want my lifestyle to reflect that, and I wasn't willing to give up my lifestyle in order to accomplish that dream. So for me, I have these two very distinct, but extremely important aspects where one part of me is a writer and one part of me is a performer. And so through narrative design and streaming, I get to do both and explore both. And 
they do help feed into each other because when I when I release a new game, I get the direct feedback of my stream. I can play it on stream or people will tell me like, oh, I just played it. Here's what I thought. Right. And they'll come into the Discord and give me their in-depth thoughts and their feedback. And so I'll know whether I achieved what I was trying to achieve as a narrative designer because people are willing to give me that very direct feedback like they're sure. talking to me as a person instead of like they're leaving a Steam review. <laughs> right. So in a way, it kind of works hand to hand, having the streaming and the actual game development, because you can kind of merge the two in a sense, right? Yeah. And and obviously, streaming is really useful for like publicizing my work. Of Narrative course. design isn't a thing that really gets a lot of attention yeah. and there's a lot of games that get released. I think I've I think sure. I've been involved in at least 10 now, but but most people know of maybe two that I've done. And so it's useful to be able to show people I'm currently right. working on something even if you don't see it for 2 years. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's kind of interesting. I guess there's a lot of game developers out there who don't really have that luxury of like just reassuring people, hey, I'm I'm not just doing nothing behind the scenes. I actually have something in the works, you know, I'm I'm getting something done. But what's also kind of nice about that is that it just sheds more light on that specific process of game development too, you know. With so many different things that go into a creative project like video games, uh, it's easy to just get focused on maybe like gameplay mechanics or or uh, sound design or something. But the truth is, you know, like there's all these other elements like narrative design. And when you're streaming the, the process or showing what you've done pretty soon after you've done it, it sheds more light on more areas to be appreciated about games. So it's kind of a nice little duo that that works together nicely, I imagine. It's one of the things that I enjoy a lot about streaming is that I get to explain like if i'm playing a game and people are like oh i hate that the developers did it this way why'd they do it that way i can right. kind of be like well like based off of what i've seen in this game i think they might have run out of time to work on this or like they didn't have the For budget sure. or the thing you're asking is not as simple as you think that it is to do yes. Yeah, And so you get to demystify game development a bit for people who are primarily fans and don't know about that side yeah yeah and and i think ultimately like it, it definitely just helps more appreciation towards art in general when you like get to know the artists and, and the reasonings for their works and stuff. And I think that's why so many people like to get to know the artists. And that's partially why, uh, you know, Twitch and YouTube has become as successful as it is because you get to understand the artists behind the work. Uh, and I think it's just kind of cool being able to bridge game development with that. Um, so I, I kind of got another question, though, that's related to that. Uh, when you're uh designing I, I don't i don't, I don't want to accidentally call it the wrong term you know but like when you're building narratives i feel like i, I can i'm sounding redundant but when you're building narratives um do you find that you will run into like uh like almost writer's block in certain areas and then having having that outlet of streaming to talk to people with direct feedback do you feel like that helps you get through like creative blockage like does that give you more ideas typically um i pretty much never discussed the things that I'm currently working on stream. Oh, um, interesting. Okay. And there's a few different reasons for that. One of the reasons being that with a lot of projects, I'm under NDA, so I legally can't. Sure. Okay. <laughs> um, of course. But for me, when I'm, depending on the narrative that I'm working on, if it's one, so I make my own games under Illicid where I have like the entire creative control because when you're working with other companies, the amount of creative control you can have like dramatically varies. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
And so for my own games, I make them more as creative outlets for me and less as like marketable games that I want to like sell and see them be really successful. So I try to actually stay away from people's thoughts on what they think that a game would be. There's a lot of just, you know, there's that, that study that they did where they found out that like, when you ask people what kind of coffee they like, they all are like, oh, I'd love a rich dark roast. But when you actually see what kind of coffee they buy, they buy like light flavored, like breakfast coffee. And people don't actually know what they want until it's in front of them. So I like feedback after the fact, or when we're like, testing and like you know i'll run it by people like do you understand what i'm communicating here right but i right i don't like i don't like having too many voices in my head when i'm trying to make something that's yeah my own and and that makes sense too because you you already have to deal with so many voices in your head when you're working with someone else's work you know so i (laughs) i totally get having that distinction between this is actually mine and i'm going to continue to do what i want to do with it while over here this is for people bossing me around that's that's work you know (laughs) Like. Well, <laughs> well uh, kind of, they're just two different, like the process of collaboratively making a game um, is just an entirely different skill set than the process of like, I am an auteur and I have complete control over how this game is going to turn out. And right. I, can, I can tell like musicians or artists what I would like them to do and make sure that that actually comes out in the end. Whereas when working with like other teams, there's varying degrees of collaboration, but usually there's other people inputting ideas and you're balancing like, do we have time to tell this piece of story or should we get to the gameplay? Like, does this create a lag in the pacing and right. that kind of thing? Yeah. So then do you, um do you, would you say you kind of approach like, uh, do you feel like more motivated to work on either something that you're doing specifically? like for a living, you know, with that collaborative work of someone else's game. I mean, obviously it's all art either way, but do you feel like there's like a bit of a motivational shift from that compared to working on your own games? Like, do you feel almost more inspired to work on your own things because it's kind of your, your projects in a way, or do you find it's just creating is creating and it's kind of the same either way? Um, I think it, it really depends for me now. I'm very, <laughs> I'm very lucky. I've been working in games for, uh, eight years now so congratulations uh, thanks i'm i'm lucky that i'm able to kind of pick and choose the things that i want to be a part of carefully and i'm also just like financially at the point with all of the different jobs that i have and continue to have where i am allowed that time to choose between projects so now i'm choosing a lot of projects where the goal of the person making the game i usually agree with a lot and so i usually feel pretty enthusiastic about what we're working on. Although, yeah, with my own personal projects, there's a sense of urgency there. Sure, yeah. I usually make them in between other projects, so it's like, gotta get this done, and also, like, I really have something to say. That's why I'm making this, so I really gotta get it out there. Now, do you? but do you run into, like phases of procrastination with your personal projects because you don't have a collaborator a collaborator that needs to have results in like a certain amount of time like do you find that you'll end up slowing down on your works because of it or is it more once you approach your works you're so ready to work on your thing that you're completely refreshed and just run and gun so this is fun (laughs) um i am actually chronically ill um 
I have like three autoimmune diseases and they affect my energy levels really dramatically. So I used to be really like, I used to struggle a lot with procrastination before I got really, really sick. And now because I have such a limited amount of energy, I'm like always ready to use it when it is Interesting. time. Procrastination okay. like isn't a luxury that I can afford to have. So something about my brain just <laughs> gave up on it. It was just like, no, we need right. to do this now. Or it's who knows, like it might be another six months before I have enough free time in my schedule that I have the energy to work on it. That's fascinating. So do, would you say that you also had any like mindset shift? Like, did you learn anything where it was like, if I approach art this way, then I can avoid procrastination? Or do you think it's mostly based on like energy levels? It's it's an, an entire mindset shift. Um, when I first got sick, before I got sick, I was like, you know, like high achiever, <laughs> like super overachiever, like all straight A's, like constantly right. working, spinning my wheels a little bit, a kind of person. And after I got sick, I just literally couldn't be that person anymore. Like I was making myself dangerously sick by doing that. Sure. So what ended up happening was that I really had to hone in on what is actually important to me in life and what are the things right. I really want to be doing. And when you have to do that level of like in-depth insight, when you're like literally choosing in. between, yeah, like I, I can either do this or I can do this. I cannot do both and I don't want to right. regret this. Right? Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So the, so the the choice becomes really straightforward after that. Right. That's kind of similar to a question I wanted to ask you, though. Um, so do you do you feel like like what do you think is the most important thing for you to be doing with your work? Like when you're creating, would you say it's more getting your message out there, um, having kind of a magnum opus of a project that you can look at from all angles, say, hey, this is amazing or something like what what do you think is the most important aspect of creating for you? I'm always trying to communicate something and it's, I have a really clear idea. So as an example, um, my most recent game that was just me is called To Be With You and spoilers for the game, but it is a like short one hour, essentially horror visual novel about a woman who gets into an abusive relationship with her partner. And it's Interesting. just an exploration of how a relationship turns unhealthy and if you if you play through the game once there is a director's commentary where you go back and you replay it and i like highlight p moments where like manipulation is occurring and i explain how it's occurring and like why the characters are responding in this way and that was like i really wanted people to understand the feeling of being in an abusive relationship and like understanding how gradually it gets there and what happens to somebody's mind as they're in sure. it so that hopefully <laughs> there are people out there who could play that game and like gain the insight without having to literally live through it like right. live through it in a safe environment and to be real with you like there's been a lot of people who've played the game and a lot of uh, abuse survivors who've played the game and like end up really shaken afterwards because of how evocative yeah. and accurate they feel it is right and um. it's it's kind of different than than movies too because video games is such an interactive media that you can't help but feel a more personal attachment to the story that you're living you know so i imagine yeah. like 
I don't know. I think there's something very beautiful about using video games as a medium to share a message because you have that interactivity. You have that personal note to it that you don't exactly have with other mediums. I really believe that games are like the number one way that we can teach people like life, essentially teach people wisdom, teach them life mm. lessons without having to put them through the pain <laughs> of like what we went through. So the game, yeah. like just heads up, the game is really like rough to to play through, but like everybody who's played it so far, I haven't received any negative reviews. Everybody's been very positive about it and saying sure. that it's very helpful. Yeah. So ultimately I view all games in that way where they're direct experiences where you can make somebody feel a certain way and expand like their lived experience without them literally having to live the experience. Right, right. Yeah, and it's it's so interesting because games also are extremely accessible to the point where you can deliver these kind of experiences to a very wide range of people, you know, especially every day more and more people are getting more interested in games that it feels like the perfect medium to to broaden people's understandings about certain situations just through literally putting them in those shoes, the shoes of those people, you know? Uh, so yeah, mm -hmm. I, I think that's, I think that's awesome, an awesome way to approach game design or whatnot. And, um, <laughs> I know like this, this is going to sound pretty normy probably, but, uh, coming from a, an indie developer or talking to an indie developer, but, uh, one of the first games that I really felt like I was in the shoes of another people. And it kind of broadened my understanding of how games could deliver a message was, Undertale, which it feels weird me even saying, because I understand that's such a normal response, but I, you know, the game really made me approach my thought process on games differently because of the way it was able to make me care so much about characters around me and and understanding other people and other perspectives better because of that game. So I, I definitely think there's a lot of power to be had with interactive an interactive medium such as video games and, and sharing stories and broadening people's understanding of things. So just to kind of uh, go back around to what we were originally talking about. Would you say that's the most important thing then is is being able to deliver your message or as you say, give wisdom through interactive mediums? Yeah. Yeah, okay, <laughs> yeah that's, cool. that's my jam. <laughs> awesome. Um, okay, so then um, uh, another question I wanted to ask is uh, basically like in-game development or even in streaming or something like that. Um, it's kind of a interesting nebula for people who are not into it right or not not in the industry because you see it everywhere you see streams quite frequently a lot of people watch streams for hours and you see video games everywhere and you play them but it's kind of hard to imagine the the troubles and struggles that go through with making them uh both with performing live and to an audience and creating games so all that to say, my question is, in any of your fields of creation, what do you think are some of the like troubles and struggles that you didn't originally anticipate that you would run into, but might be good for other people getting into the industry to understand? Like some things you wouldn't expect. Um, so with streaming, um, I, <laughs> I feel very strongly about this. I like really, really want people who are considering becoming streamers to take the time when they first start streaming to figure out what the actual stream part of streaming means to you. Like, what do you want from this experience? Because streaming can very rapidly start to feel like it's out of your hands. Like right. there's a lot of 
you know, expectations. There's a lot of ideas that other streamers have about what you should do to succeed. There's a lot of weird emotional boundaries between you and your chat that a lot of people don't know how to navigate right. at all, really. Um, and these are like not things to go into lightheartedly because if once you get a couple years down the line or a couple thousand followers down the line, it's kind it's hard. It's hard to pivot and be like, actually, yeah. I'm changing the norms of this community or actually this isn't what I wanted at all. It's hard to even know whether it's what you wanted because you're getting right. a lot of like dopamine from yeah. like, yeah, from attention from people. And right. that will very easily blind you to why you're actually doing it and whether it's even healthy for you. <laughs> sure. Yeah, no, yeah. it's that's you're I it's like you you want to have that foundation right from the get-go basically because it's really hard to build that after so many people are used to whatever their perception of what they think this streamer audience relationship is going to be, right? Yeah, and and I've also just found like in terms of setting up a chat, like you need to be the person who states your boundaries. Like you need to say like we have no backseating here or, you know, don't comment on my appearance or whatever your thing is that you don't want people to do, you need to get comfortable just saying that to your right. audience verbally. <laughs> just right. communicating that. I see a lot of like new streamers getting really frustrated that people on Twitch don't know the specific norms of their particular stream and that's because it's your job as a streamer to communicate those norms because the norms right. are different between everybody. Yeah, and especially with something that's so new as streaming. I mean, it's hard to see streaming as new at this point because uh, you know <laughs> it, it's it's everywhere. But you know, something as a medium as new as streaming, there's a lot of people who still just don't genuinely understand what kind of approach they should take to to this entertainment. You know, um, if you if you go to uh, you know if you go to an art gallery and you see a lot of pieces typically the artist isn't there sometimes the artist is there but a lot of times the artist isn't there they get post reception through reviews or or uh posts on the internet explaining what their thought process is when you have something that's so in front of you though with active performance that relies kind of both on the audience and uh and the performer you know the the, the audience becomes a contributing factor to the art so if you're not making it clear from the get-go, this is what your contribution shouldn't be, or this is what your contribution should be, then naturally, you know, it's it's going to be harder and harder to kind of con control that as your work goes forward. Exactly. And like your community is part of what you're uh, giving as a streamer, what you're selling, mm -hmm. like your community is part of the experience of people coming to your stream. So you have every right as a streamer to like modulate your community and give them ideas for like what you expect and what right. you don't expect and to like kick people out if they're being mean. <laughs> That's, of course. I see a lot of streamers who just like feel really bad about kicking somebody out. And I'm like, no, this is this is for all intents and purposes, your house. Yeah. Someone comes in and starts kicking down like your vases. You you kick them out of your house. You don't be like, oh, but I don't want them to feel bad. <laughs> <laughs> right. You don't just pick up the vases for them. You're like, okay, you got to go. It's time to leave. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. All right. No so more vase let's, kicking. Um, let's ask. Let's move on to the uh, to narrative or game development. You know, have there been any like unexpected troubles that you've run into that you really want people going in to understand? Yeah. <laughs> um probably the number one thing that you need to understand is that like most game developers never make enough money that they get to make game development their full-time job mm. okay that is actually extremely rare <laughs> right. um 
and usually you don't get to have like a full-time job as game development until you're like five, 10 years into the industry. It's just indie game development is not it. You don't earn money. <laughs> you just like don't earn money. That's sure. That's the case. That's why most indie developers have full-time jobs. And that's why funding making indie games is so hard because most people don't get paid for like like a living wage for working on the games right they work on it in their spare time and like maybe get like a thousand or two thousand dollars a lot of kickstarters yeah. games for example people will pay themselves like one or two thousand dollars for two and a half years worth of work and it's right so so if you're heading into game development or if you are even in game development right now and you don't feel like you're successful because you're basically making no money don't feel bad yes <laughs> don't feel course. bad it's it's pretty normal even though it shouldn't be right and you know money money should probably never be uh the form the form that success takes right like it, it's very it's very easy not easy it's it's very possible to be creatively successful without being super financially successful with your creation specifically right um but also i think you know when you're talking about kickstarters earlier i think it's so easy to look at the indie games where kickstarters went viral and and suddenly all goals are met and whatnot and then they start making dlc and and all these like all these popular indie games um but the reality is you understand you know about those because they popped off and it's something that doesn't happen all the time right it's not like you can't just expect to be to have an entirely funded game to make a game of your dreams just because you've seen it happen to a select other games you know and I imagine that could be a misconception going in. Very much so. But even honestly, even with like Kickstarters that go that viral, people assume that the people making those Kickstarters are making a lot of money. And the majority of the right. money that's being spent in those viral Kickstarters is being spent on like the actual budget of making the game or marketing the sure. game or publishing the game or buying like it's most of it doesn't go to the devs right so right. so even though it might look like like i you always see people being like oh they had like two million dollars where'd that all go and it's like we can very easily tell you where <laughs> it all goes first of all like 30 percent of it goes to taxes and kickstarter fees so first of all <laughs> right that's, you know, a, that's there's a lot of things people don't an important think about. thing yeah like the, those sites they, they're not it's not like all the money goes to you you know that otherwise they wouldn't they mm -hmm. wouldn't exist you know so that's something yeah. ah, man it's weird because i wouldn't i don't even normally like think about that when i see all the numbers and all the goals reached but it's like you're right so much of that doesn't even go to the developers you know it goes directly into the game yeah so i guess mm -hmm. just, or, or it's into making the the uh merch for the kickstarter rewards which is usually way more expensive mm -hmm. than people anticipate right yeah because like man getting a distributor for for merch can cost way more than just buying a shirt in a store right like it's it's yeah it's tough Generally, from what i understand yeah the more you buy the cheaper it is but that's like <laughs> you know it gets into the thousands of dollars to buy a, like a couple hundred keychains just to send them to your backers and then you're paying for shipping you're paying for the right. packaging you're paying for the time spent that shipping all that stuff out and also the hours that people don't think about where you're trying to wrangle your Kickstarter backers into giving you the th the information that you need to send right. them the stuff. <laughs> right. There's a lot of extra work that people don't often think about. Um, so then would, would you, in general, would you recommend 
crowdfunding as a good method of getting your game off the ground or is there other avenues you would recommend over that even if it's tricky either way so i have run a successful kickstarter myself um and what i will tell you i won't say don't do it but i will say that every game developer that i know who has run a successful kickstarter says that they would like to try and find literally any other avenue of method of funding before they go back to kickstarter it's kind of i i think that so first of all like running the kickstarter is ridiculously stressful because your hopes and dreams are riding on this thing and you don't sleep for the whole month pretty much that you're that you're doing it sure but but then there's this known thing that happens after Kickstarters um, for people who've run them, which is just post Kickstarter depression. And I don't know why it happens, but for months people can be extremely depressed. And you also have the burden of now, like however many people backed your successful product, you have the burden of all of their hopes and dreams. And you like, you feel so stressed for the entire rest of development because you're always like, I hope that this meets up to what their expectations were and that they didn't invest in me and my project only to be disappointed. It's kind of a mental nightmare. (laughs) Yeah. Cause even if it's dressed up as, as, uh, as a kind of a donation thing, like uh, you're helping a creator with their dreams or something like that, there's still some form of product that has to be delivered for the money spent, you know, and you can't help but feel that you got to make a proper delivery on all those assumptions of what people expect. So if, if Kickstarter might not be the best place to start off, then do you have any other advice for people who are trying to get funding for the game or maybe some other anecdotes that might help them? Um, There's a lot of different ways now that people can pursue funding now that, game companies have become more friendly towards indies. Um, I would look into getting a functional, good, solid demo of your game and like a really good marketing trailer and shop that around, like try to gain interest, not only from other people, like going to cons and shopping your game out there, but try to get meetings with large game companies and be like, or or publishing houses would you like to sponsor this game like would you like sure. to invest in this game um some people to be honest go the route of doing kickstarter first and some publishers even ask you to do this some publishers will be like if you can get 50 percent of the funding through kickstarter then we will agree to, pub- to fund the rest of your game Interesting. Um, so sometimes people use crowdfunding to gain a attention so that they can then go to a publisher and be like would you mind ponying up the rest of the money look at how much of a demand there is right Um, wow that's fascinating i would have never guessed that and but it makes so much sense once you explain it like understanding like hey there's actual interest for this game or whatnot Mm -hmm. well and especially like you mentioned undertale when Mm -hmm. undertale was kind of a watershed moment for the game industry at large realizing that a game indie games were kind of a big deal and b cozier like more feelings oriented games were a market that people were ready for yes (laughs) people wanted to get it so there's lots of like newly emerging markets that publishers have traditionally ignored that now they're very interested in and like hyper niche markets where like you get maybe like one game every five years and the publishers are now interested in serving this niche market right yeah now to kind of continue from that you know with kind of this boom of indie games that we're going through 
do you feel like um, it's almost having a negative effect in the sense that the market's becoming more oversaturated? Or do you feel like that's still not something to be super concerned about? What's your kind of takes on that as someone who works on games? Because I can only, um, like, you know, I'm just an outsider. I can only imagine what it's like uh, trying to hold on to niche audiences and whatnot with with what you're making. But now with so many other people making it because it's become a lot more normalized, you know, is it has it become more difficult to to find people, do you think? So I won't. I won't speak to the whole of the indie industry, but I'll talk about one genre in particular because okay. I was around for it, so I saw it all happen. Gotcha. Um, so visual novels and dating sims, <laughs> uh, that was where I started out in development. And um, initially there was, there, and there still is, a huge community of original English uh, visual novels, OELVNs, and they have like you know good like they're just real games real stories very interesting doing a lot of cool unique things and right. then what happened were games like Hotful boyfriend and um like the kentucky fried chicken game and like ddlc and suddenly visual novels became known for being like a meme gimmicks. essentially yeah there was a huge influx of people into visual novels after Hotful boyfriend because they all thought that visual novels were like get rich quick streams as long as you had like a zany weird uh, in. So like a bunch right. of just all over the place kind of games came out. And now visual novels are known for those. Like visual novels are yeah. known as joke gag games. They're not known as like serious, artistic or fun games to play in their own right. They're games that you right. play for a laugh on a stream or something. So there are definitely genres where like the prolific the proliferation of games or people seeing it as a get rich quick right theme has like watered down the market and affected the sense of what the genre is and that's really right. bad <laughs> yeah so that like people will bad. go in expecting this kind of memeified uh game that they're used yes. to seeing and it's almost harder for them to take this take those kind of games seriously because of that so when they see a series of like yeah. what am i looking at Exactly. They don't have the the patience or appreciation because like people, oh, well, I don't want to sit through like a, a book if there's no like hook. And you don't know it, when you play the game, you find out like a lot of visual novels have a bunch of really interesting like stats based mechanics. Like Long Live right. the Queen is a really good one where you're controlling a girl whose inauguration is in a year and you need to keep her alive because people are trying to kill her. And it's like a <laughs> princess maker like raising sim where you're trying to make her not die and it's really okay. fun but that's not what people think of when they think of visual novels right um so now it, that's the kind of flooding of the indie yeah, industry that frustrates yeah. me <laughs> do you, but do you think there's like a flip side to it that because people are now interested in this like um you know hate to for boyfriend kind of stuff like does it do you feel like ultimately it might have helped it more because because those games are now like people now know what a visual novel is right I, I feel like there's a time where people wouldn't really understand what that term is most people like do you think do you think the positives outweigh the negatives or ultimately do you think it's just kind of hurting the genre in a way um so going off of my own experience because like my ability to get hired was impacted by these market trends <laughs> sure sure um Going off of that, I would say that it's not actually like Hotful Boyfriend and that kind of thing that ended up pulling 
visual novels back into awareness as like a real game. It was games like Arcade Spirits and Dream Daddy, games like that, uh, that made people realize what visual novels were instead of just dating sims. Um, right. So for the, for the period of time in between when people were like, oh, visual novels can be other things and visual novels are <laughs> chaos. <laughs> for that period of time, it was like, it was very bleak. It was extremely bleak. <laughs> right. Okay. Um, it was a hard time to be, the, to be a visual novel developer. <laughs> Okay, so let's let's stick on visual novels for a little bit, because um, it I, I'm so fascinated just by translating something that's so story driven that you're used to like reading books for or watching movies with, uh, into and incorporating with that, like I said earlier, the the uh, uh, the personal aspect of you actually controlling the characters and making choices in the game. I, I, do you find it? Um, like is it a lot more difficult to kind of develop for a medium where choices actually matter and what you do as opposed to maybe writing a story where uh, a character's a character's character for that if that makes any sense is set in stone like is it more difficult to translate that into such a uh, uh optional uh medium if that makes sense it does make sense and for me the interactivity is what pulls me as a writer to games so right. i i had a like and i have still a whole career as a writer that's outside of narrative design where like i worked for digital gaming i was a newspaper journalist i had all these things going on sure. um and what i like about game writing specifically is that you have you're <laughs> yeah you're you're creating an entire experience through the interactivity and you need to figure out ways to use this interactivity and incorporate it into the emotional experience of the story that you're telling uh, and like that's what i'm all about that's like what all of my games right. are about when i make them not everybody is that way but for me i feel alive <laughs> when i consider <laughs> how how the interactivity can affect the impact that the story brings and so i wouldn't right. say that it's hard because it's the thing that i really like <laughs> right okay so it, it's 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 the main drawing to what you do is like being yeah. able to figure out how you can deliver that message in that way interesting i think for people who trans who are trying to transition from being like a lot of people try to transition from being fanfic writers into being game writers and that kind of thing i think that that is an area um at least I'm I'm observing, so I haven't I haven't spoken to any of them about this, but I'm observing. Sure. I think that's an area that can be difficult. Um, is right. making sure that the the choices are real and have real impact. Right. Yeah. So then, what about like do you do you feel like almost you're you're almost limited when you work on things that's not visual novels when you're going back to like maybe writing stories just uh, through words? Like, do you feel like you're almost limited in what you can convey because of that? Not, you know, so because I've worked on so many different things, um, there's always like minor frustrations where, where sometimes, sometimes, it, you know, somebody gives me something and I'm like, you know what, this isn't actually the medium for right. this. Like I I've was a video editor at a time as well. So I'm just like a video would have been much better to get your point across or, or something like that. Those right. times are frustrating, but sure. Um, but I think that like each medium, as long as what you're trying to say is suited to the medium, then each medium you can utilize its strengths to right. like push push what you're trying to do through. And it's right. for me, it's always about like, have I achieved my goal? 
Mm. And, and so like yeah. everything, everything else, it all kind of comes down to that. And that's what builds, builds it for you. Like it kind of starts to, I don't want to say come naturally, but it starts to draw a roadmap when you constantly go back to like, this is my purpose. And that then it just, it goes the right direction from there. Yeah, for me, it's a it's a guidepost. And it's the, the question I ask as I'm whatever I'm working on, like, am I achieving the goal of what I or the person who hired me wants for this piece? Sure. And it's easy to, you know, I, I view writing as the same way that some people view drawing as like a main skill with a bunch of sub skills underneath it. Um, so with drawing, you might have like perspective and then shading and then anatomy. And with writing, I think that you have dialogue and then pacing and then story structure and stuff like that. It's it's like adjusting the different dials depending on which genre of writing you're in. So newspaper articles and YouTube scripts and plays versus games are all you got to tweak the, yeah. the toggles on all the different things as you're going. Right. They've all got different uh, uh, requirements. So, and that's actually, that's a perfect segue into another thing I wanted to ask you. Um, when making narratives, is there like an individual part that you find uh, the most important for story building specifically, such as do you find um, having well-developed characters being something that drives the rest of the story? Or uh, like, what what are some of your like, kind of almost do's and don'ts when building a story that maybe you get annoyed by when you see other narratives out there that don't follow that structure or just things that like, you know, you hold on to, to make it, to make it fleshed out. <laughs> this is very, like I said, I, I analyze narratives on my stream and like sure. I do narrative analyses on my Patreon and like you will very quickly find out which, which things bother me. <laughs> um, but for me, it's, I just get, I I hate padding so much in stories, sure. especially games, when it's like, oh, you're wasting hours of my life. And if you had just cut this out, your like point, your story would have been so much better. Like that's my berserk button for sure. But right. as far as me creating my own stories, I'm a heavily character driven writer if it as long as it's a fictional story. So right. All of my stories come from fleshing out the characters really deeply and then just like setting them free with yeah. specific parameters about whatever situation they're in. The, the rest kind of sets up naturally once you have complexity in characters because because of that complexity, you're naturally going to see how they interact with other characters and a plot just kind of presents itself from that, I feel. Um, mm. do you ever, so do you get like really bothered by a lot of pop culture movies because, you know, they don't always they have a lot of agendas right it's not always specifically about telling such a good story like do you have to like stop watching maybe some popular movies because of that or uh yeah all the time i actually yeah. <laughs> uh i don't often watch uh tv and and movies just because they a lot of the ways oh man they're just really into like shocking you they just really want to like yeah. you know they're more into spectacle i guess than they are into telling really Absolutely. good stories a lot of the times not all the time yeah but um, into a lot of explosions and plot twists basically mm -hmm. i actually because i think because i'm a writer i end up really orienting myself towards the extremes of the spectrum so i like really really wild things like i love bollywood i love k-dramas i love like you know comically bad movies like the room right because they're 
stories where people will just do the thing that's wild because it's fun and i'm yeah. like along for the ride i'm like yeah like Definitely. she's in a coma now and her sister's replacing her and like <laughs> that man just jumped off a building but he's safe because it was on fire it doesn't make sense don't yeah. worry <laughs> yeah it's it's almost like a release right because you don't you don't even have to bother thinking like oh this is not structurally sound it's like oh i i know what i'm getting myself into like i i can just watch something without thinking about it. and i'm sure as a writer it's really hard to indulge in those things without thinking critically about it right mm -hmm. so i can imagine that's just relaxing to be like I don't even care. They're just doing whatever. And that's what they're supposed to do. It's fine. Well, the, so that's the thing is that like as a writer, I often just like I pick up on where games and movies and stuff are going really quick. And so it, like I'm really I really hate spoilers for that reason, because somebody can say the tiniest little thing and I'll be like, like slot that into the structure of the narrative and be like, oh, well, then that means that they're going to do this at the end, because yeah. that's the only Suddenly thing that you know makes the sense. whole trilogy. Yeah. yeah Whereas sure. like with K-dramas or Bollywood, you just literally don't know where it's going to end up. Like, like you start, no you start the movie in one place and then 15 minutes later, there's ghosts prowling the floor and the reincarnation of your dead mother is trying to seduce your boyfriend. And you're like, oh, didn't know <laughs> this was where we were going to end up today. But yeah, a good time. It's, it's just it's something that's actually fascinating. You know, it's so many movies come out today that when you understand how narratives work and whatnot, that when you watch, you just think like, okay, this is just not interesting to me because it's it's so by the books. It's so by following the lines that anything, even if it's if it's only fascinating because of worse elements at that point, is it even worse anymore? I mean, if it's something that actually fascinates you, that's more than you can get with a lot of modern movies. You know, I, I will say like, I'm not a huge Marvel fan, so I'm not very fascinated by a lot of Marvel movies, but then I watched this, this one, uh, bizarre non-Western film and it's, it's, it's so something I'm not used to that I find it way more intriguing than watching something that, you know, hits the blockbusters and, and reaches millions of people, you know? I I will say like a very good indication of where I'm at with this is that I went to go see the preview of the latest Star Wars movie that came out, the one that everybody hated, and I was living the whole like I loved it because I just was like, oh my god, they're doing this now! Oh my god, they're going here! Like I was, I was, it was like I was on a roller coaster ride, and I was just so down for it. And I and yeah. I left, and I was like, that was a bad movie, but I'm like, it's my favorite one. <laughs> I, I can't tell which one you're talking about because that kind of that description seems to fit most of them. But the uh, it, the uh, <laughs> uh, what Rise of Skywalker is Rise. Is okay, right. Gosh, that was a year ago. That feels like an eternity ago. Um, yeah, because um, you keep thinking like, well, they're not gonna. Surely they're not gonna do this. Oh my gosh, they did it. That's crazy. Yeah, yeah. I, I totally understand that. Um, yeah, no, it's just it's just fascinating because, uh, you know, there's a reason a lot of people really like um, a lot of those like really bizarre indie films that that don't have so much structure to them, even because at this point, we're just looking for something to fascinate us, you know, some because like we've been fascinated by the masters so many times already that sometimes it's so refreshing to to just watch something without having to think about it, you know, and I think that's also why I'm personally very drawn to a lot of comedies, because suddenly things like story structure and character narratives i almost even though they are important it's suddenly i don't care about them anymore because i'm there for the jokes in a way mm -hmm. i could understand why other people don't feel that way but 
you know, I, I find myself watching so many comedies while it's just difficult for me to get into more character driven films or movies that present themselves as character driven films. And yeah, it's just nice to have that release every once in a while that, that I don't even care. It's, it's all, Mm -hmm. it's, I have popcorn. That's what matters. Well, and I, and I think that like our idea of what a good story kind of needs to shift slightly because sure, a lot of people think of good stories and they think of like following some kind of prescribed formula like why didn't you do it this way it makes more sense when i think a good story is if you've achieved the objective that you were trying to do so for me a comedy doesn't have to have a really good solid story because its goal is to make you laugh and if having a better story would have made the movie funnier then it's a valid criticism but oh that's my cat (laughs) but but if if that if it's not a factor that's going to help you laugh more and make the movie funnier, then I don't think that it's something that like yeah factors into it being good. It kind of goes into the padding <laughs> factor. Should I? Should you, I do you want to show it on cat? camera? Could oh, it be pumpkin? a special guest or? Sure, pumpkin. Well, if she lets me, she's the one in charge. Hey, pumpkin. <laughs> oh my she's... gosh, that is oh, it's so big. It's adorable. Yeah, she's a she's old. She's a twelve years old. Wow. She's, she like sees my plate with yogurt on my table and she's like, I want it. I think this is the first animal guest I've had. It's it's a big honor. I haven't been <laughs> the, the first... presence amongst someone as in charge as a cat. As in charge, yeah, as demanding yeah. Yeah. of attention. Yeah, it's like royalty. That's what's tough about <laughs> cats. It's like you want you want to love them 100% of the time, but they only let you like 50 or 70% sometimes, and it's tough. <laughs> yeah. Should but... I Should I kick her out for the audio or...? You can do whatever you want. I mean, we're actually getting pretty close to wrapping up time, so you probably don't have to worry oh, about fair. it. It'll just be a special okay. <laughs> guest. Um, I'll actually kind of get into the last question I wanted to ask you, which is the same question I've been asking every creator that I've had on here. Um, and that's just how have you been creatively affected by everything that was happening in 2020 or uh, with like the pandemic, pretty much anything. How has your creative process changed with that? Because I feel like most creators had some kind of some kind of change in a certain direction because of everything going on. Now, I, I don't mean to pry into anything personal, but you know, specifically on a creative element, have you feel like your process has changed? Have you been working on more things creatively? Have you been working on less things? Have you been indulging in more escapism? Like, has there been an impact for you with everything? So fun thing about the pandemic, um, because I'm chronically ill, I'm actually like, I have limited mobility. So when everybody went into quarantine, they started living the same life that I was living. Oh, my gosh. Exciting. (laughs) I know. It's like wild to hear all these people talk about how impossible it is to live this way. And I'm like, girl, I'm going to be here when you're gone. (laughs) Right. Um, so, So that didn't affect me as much creatively. However, I will say, like, and not to get very stressful or anything, but um, in in the middle of 2020, Black Lives Matter started happening. And sure. very interestingly, suddenly, companies started looking more at Black creators. So I went from, well, I, I lost my job the month before because of coronavirus. Um, and then immediately afterwards, because of Black Lives Matter, matter suddenly had an influx of offers for for me as a d- developer and as a streamer right ju- just because people were paying attention more um so that like impacted me extremely heavily creatively because i've been operating this whole time thinking that like i must not be skilled enough 
to get to the opportunities that I was wanting because they were they weren't coming even though I was putting myself out there. After after everything happened and companies started wanting to diversify their rosters, I've realized that actually I think I was probably competent enough the entire time and it was just that they didn't know that I existed. They didn't know sure. to look for people like me. So Right. That gave me a big boost of confidence. And and yeah. I think like one that a lot of people actually can learn from, because a lot of the times we will blame ourselves. Definitely. When it's just a matter of there's no eyeballs here. Yeah, there, there's nothing worse as a creator to feel like you're not able to create something. That's like the ultimate weight on a shoulder, you know? Yeah. So like you, you'll stumble across like artists on Twitter all the time, for example, who have incredible art and just mm -hmm. no following. And they feel like they're terrible artists because they don't have a following. And it's like, wow, well, let me tell you, that's not that's not the problem. The problem is a matter of reach, not a matter of you right. being yeah, unskilled or bad yeah. at this. It's like that the odds are unfortunately against you from day one, you know, going into anything, any kind of creative field. It's 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 hard to just get noticed, I guess. But yeah, no, I, I'm glad that it's had kind of a, a, a positive effect in a way, you know, do you, did you feel more motivated to work on things because you now were getting noticed more or was it just kind of like business as usual? Um, there, there was, well, you know, I wasn't not mentally affected by the Black Lives Matter sure. protest as a, of course. as a mixed black lady in America. Right. So like, it was a very odd balancing act of like oh yay like this is happening but also like why is this happening now and like what should i like it is it appropriate for me to <laughs> how do i do this yeah um so now that it's been six months i can say that like i found the balance for where i need to be to be like mentally healthy and sure. operating in this chaotic world and going forward but at the time it was really rough <laughs> yeah yeah i can imagine it took me a while to figure it out yeah especially with with someone like or with the, the kind of field that you're in of just having to be constantly like on in a sense when you're streaming you know to have to be constantly aware of what you're saying and what people are saying to you you know i i can only imagine how how challenging that can be but uh, I'm, I'm glad that you're now feeling in a better creative, healthy place. And um, one thing I very much appreciate about the your streams is that you're very much, you always present such a positive um, <laughs> attitude towards things and a positive mental state. I'm curious if you have any advice for people out there who might be struggling with staying positive in creation when, like we said earlier, the odds are against you in so many areas. Do you have any advice for those kind of people or... Like, what are some of your main ways of staying positive when creating? For me, it's always about focusing on what I am trying to accomplish here. Mm -hmm. So with my streams, I want people to come to my streams and I want them to feel welcomed and happy. Like, I like right now, I think a great service I can provide the world is just giving them a space where it's very positive and nice to be. Sure. And... and and not like in that coddling way where it's like, we can't, oh, it's, the world's too scary, don't talk about anything. But but just like, no, we're in a good mood here. Yeah. Um, I think if you can hone in on what you have control over and just focus on improving your own skills, that is what's going to make you happy and give you a sense of agency and yeah. also help you scale up if like just don't pay attention to the numbers don't pay attention to 
when, when evaluating your own skill as a creator, don't pay attention to externals, pay attention to internals. And that's where you'll stay sane with your own creation. I'm not going to say sure. that you'll have food to eat. <laughs> <laughs> that's not but, given. But you'll come be on. happy. <laughs> come on. Go ahead. You, you, expect to, you expect to have something to eat when you're an artist? Ah, come on. That's uh... asking for too much. <laughs> no, I, I think that's a great point, though, especially what, what really hit home for me is when you said just focus on what you do have control over because there's so many things in creation you don't have control over you really mm -hmm. don't have control whether or not people your work's going to be noticed or get feedback for your work to help you grow so if you're constantly looking at the things that you specifically can improve the contributions that you have specifically i think that's the healthiest way you can go about creating because it keeps your mind occupied on just improving your craft and your craft mm -hmm. is you know ultimately that's that's what it's about right trying to produce the best mm. possible things you know so yeah I, I i definitely think it's a great advice and just to slip one in there uh yeah. real quick i would also advise paying attention to what you want to do and not what people are telling you is the proper way to do things because sure. like like especially with streaming i see a lot of people telling you what what you should do in order to be a good streamer yeah. and that's fine and everything but that ends up with everybody's streams being exactly the same and everybody yeah. feeling kind of like pinched and choked and unable to be themselves Definitely. so like do your own thing it's 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 fine don't don't feel pressured into being someone that you're not yeah because in in everyone you know there's there's unfortunately there's a lot of uh stream well and just creators in general out there who are not making for the purpose of producing art you know it's a lot of times it's for other purposes of like i get to play games and make money off it i'm down or whatnot which is i mean i guess fair enough right you, everyone needs jobs, <laughs> i mean who wouldn't obviously. want that <laughs> yeah right. i mean if they're handing it out shh, i'll take it you know yeah but right like, um you know but people when they when they're telling you how to do your craft a lot of times they still have that kind of mindset in your head and like uh, mm. i i most of my experiences with youtube and i've i've seen people make videos uh to creators and that's part of the reason i wanted to start this podcast is because so much of the advice given to creators is specifically based on their idea as to where you should be as a creator on youtube and for me i just want to have a good creative mindset i want to have confidence in my work and i want to be proud of what i create uh, and that's just not the end goal for a lot of people. So the advice you kind of get on YouTube is all about like, here's how you reach massive audience. This is how you do clickbaity thumbnails. Like this is how you recognize trends and follow on them. It's just, that's yep. not, it's not something I'm interested in. Right. So it's kind of tough when people tell me how to do that, when it's like, I don't think you understand what my end goal is here, you know? So I, mm -hmm. I, I uh, that's my form of, I guess, sympathizing but probably to a much lesser extent i don't know um I, I i do think it's it's a it's a very good thing to keep in mind though that it's like this is your work this is your craft what's important to you focus on that and if you get an advice that doesn't seem to focus on that then ignore the advice you know you don't have to take all the advice you get so anyway yeah <laughs> one of one of the things you learn very quickly being a writer is that not everybody's feedback is actually very valid and <laughs> you don't you, say <laughs> you need to build up the wisdom of like looking at something seeing what's a good idea which is one thing and also seeing what you want to incorporate which is another thing because like sometimes you don't want to incorporate good ideas because they're just not what you're there for definitely definitely mm -hmm. yeah it's just it's just about like navigating through the mess of things that get thrown on you when you're a creator you know understanding <laughs> what's actually important and what's just noise because so much of it is noise but at least at the very least with all this noise everywhere 
you guys are watching Pat's Creative Podcast, and this isn't super noisy, hopefully. I don't know. That's my <laughs> way of saying we got to wrap up. But <laughs> Bam, um, wrapping it up. Yes, perfect. Cara, thank you so much for joining me today. Um, is there something you would like to tell everyone out there where they can find you, uh, what you're generally working on? Keep in mind that whenever this comes out, is kind of in a nebula, so there's not like such maybe don't keep it super timely but in general where can people find your work uh you can find me on twitch.tv at cheratomo c-h-e-r-a-t-o-m-o i'm also on twitter and i'm also on patreon for same things <laughs> there you go and what's your twitter handle is it also cheratomo yeah it's all cheratomo <laughs> all cheratomo okay gotcha nice and so easy make sure you guys uh follow cheratomo both on uh tw- Twitter, Twitch, and Patreon. And um, of course, thank you guys so much for listening here. If you want to catch any of these in a more condensed form, these will be uploaded into clips uh, over on my YouTube channel. Uh, So you can always check that out. Thank you so much for your support here on Patreon. And of course, I will see you guys in the next episode. So, so long. Bye.